0: Please turn in your Bibles to Romans 7, uh, the end of Romans 7, starting at verse 21 through 8, chapter 8 of Romans through verse 11. We are continuing our, our discussion, really just getting started in our discussion of, of grace, or excuse me, of disciplines of grace. And, and those two words together may seem like an oxymoron, but they're not, um, what we're really talking, last week I talked about the train of grace. Remember that silly illustration, if you weren't here, uh, the idea of the damsel in distress and the silent movies with the music going and the black and white, and the train is coming and she's tied on the, on the train. That was my illustration last week, and the, gray, the train is grace. And I've improved it a little this week. Here we go. The, the, the bri- you're on a bridge, you're tied down on a bridge, still a train track. But you don't want to roll off either side, because then you'll just fall to your death, okay? Also, the train will go right over you smoothly, okay? And at the very end, it'll scoop you up and put you inside it. Remember your train illustration a long time ago? Anyway, and so that's, but here's the problem. You're tempted to reach your arms out. It's going to cut your hand off. Don't do that, okay? That's what grace is like. So, you have to put yourself in the way of grace, and that's what we're looking at with the disciplines of grace. The idea that um, it it feels difficult, it feels hard. You don't want to do them sometimes. But when you do, God has oriented these means, prayer and the word and fellowship and the sacraments and other things. These are ways he communicates his gospel, his grace to you. So, we do them. Does that make sense? And this morning, we're going to talk about, as the first discipline of grace... Preaching the gospel to yourself every day. That's the discussion this morning. Please look at Romans 7, verses 21 through eight eleven. This is not going to be a, a typical sermon. We go through verse by verse and unpack this entire passage, but this, I believe, passage is one of many that highlights the idea that we're espousing this morning of preaching the gospel to yourself. Starting in verse 21. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right... Evil lies close at hand, for I delight in the law of God in my inward inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus, Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Father in heaven, uh, these words by Paul, inspired uh, and written by your Holy Spirit, we pray our eyes would see through the power of your, that same spirit dwelling in us, the beauties of the gospel. Show us the way we try to live out of the flesh, and show us how to repent and return, and most importantly, show us the beauty of you, Jesus, being our Savior, our Lord. Help us to bask in that this morning. Amen. Um, In seminary, we took classes on how to preach, contrary to popular opinion. I attended those classes, just joking, just joking. One of the things that really sticks out from the very first class was One of, Dr. Chappell, who was quoting a professor of his, he would say, a sermon is only a lecture until you say what you have to do. It's very tempting sometimes for people to preach a sermon, but what they're really doing is just lecturing. In other words, they're just telling you content. On the other hand, there are some people who I think only exhort, and they forget to give you the truth from Scripture. And so his point was a good sermon tells you what is true, And what to do. This morning, we're looking at how to preach the gospel to ourselves. Right? And this is important because it's very tempting to say, I get the gospel. I understand the gospel. I could articulate it to you. But the real question I want to dive into is one, how well do you really understand the content of the gospel? And then two, how well do you apply it to yourself on a daily basis? That's the goal. Uh, Martin Luther said, the, you know, the, every day you need to preach the gospel or understand freshly the gospel. Um, he said it's like fish, fresh, fresh fish. This is before refrigeration, right? If you catch, fre- if you catch fish, you don't want to catch a week's worth or a month's worth like at the beginning because it will start to rot. You want to catch it fresh every day. And our hearts are like that. Our hearts tend to wander. We talked about that last week. And every morning, every day, we really ought to go in and freshly hear the music of the gospel, okay? That's the goal. So we're going to look now at the content. Um, Here's the the outline structure. Content or what is true, that'll be point one. And then point two will be what to do, okay? What is true and what to do. So what is true, right? We've just looked at Romans 7. What is true? Um, When you are asked about yourself, how do you reply? It depends on the situation, doesn't it? But oftentimes, people will answer things like, well, I grew up in a home of divorce. How do you, like, self-identify, right? That's a big issue in our culture right now. We talk a lot about gender and sexuality and, and identity. How do you see yourself, right? And, and especially if someone really privately pulls, pulls you aside and says, tell me about you. Who are you? It's a hard one. Have you ever tried to answer that? Very difficult. We're ambivalent. We have a lot of things that cross our mind. Well, what Paul wants us to do first and foremost is define ourselves by being in Christ. That's the key definition we see in Romans 8, 7, and 8. So I just want to unpack this a little bit. In Romans 7, we see two great truths of Scripture. Uh, We see justification by faith, right? That is, in Christ appears quite a few times in this passage. Look at verse 8. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Elsewhere, Christ is found in you. Okay, Uh, in verse seven, chapter seven. Excuse me, verse twenty-four. He's answering the question, "Who will rescue me from this body of death?" And he says, "This thanks be to God through Jesus Christ." And then you'll really see justification by faith outlined in verse three of chapter eight. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh, could not do. In other words, no matter how much you want to fulfill God's law, he's saying you cannot do it apart from Jesus. And he goes on, by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. Now, Jesus was not a sinner, but he came as a full human. That's what he means by in the likeness of sinful flesh. He came as a full human, right? Uh, And he lived a perfect life, but he was condemned, uh, and it says, I'm sorry, by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So Paul is saying that, that Jesus came, he lived a perfect life, and when he died, he fulfilled all the requirements of the law. And he goes on to talk about how the Holy Spirit, if you are in Christ, has applied those to you, right? We see that all through the passage. Um, there's also some interesting uh, ways that you see the Trinity working. Uh, for example, in verse 9, You, however, are not in the flesh, but, you're in the sp- but you are in the Spirit, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. So the Holy Spirit is said to be the Spirit of Christ. But look a little bit later in verse 11. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, who raised Jesus from the dead? God the Father. So the Spirit of God the Father is in you. It's a very fascinating way to see the Trinity working, that we are united to God the Father in the Spirit, but we're united to Christ in the Spirit. It's this fully-orbed view of the Trinity, but most importantly, that you are adopted because of your justification, right? You are a saint. You are made a Christian because of what Christ has done. I want to clarify one thing, verse 9. It's very tempting for us to read these verses and go, wait a minute. You, however, are not in the flesh but in the spirit. That's good news. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. Does that kind of catch anybody? Kind of make you nervous? You don't have to raise your hands. What Paul is saying, he's always leaving the caveat that there may be non-Christians in his audience. Right? But his point is, if you're a Christian, you're in Christ, then his spirit, by default, dwells in you. There's not this sort of second blessing uh, theology for Paul. When you come to Christ, he is applied to you by the Holy Spirit. But what I want to draw out a little bit more of in this passage is how really, Paul is talking, though justification is in view, he is talking about your sanctification. He's talking about your holiness. He's talking about how do you grow as a Christian. And it's interesting, in, in chapter 7, Paul was wrestling with his inability to keep the law. But when he gets to chapter 8, he doesn't seem to talk about all of a sudden he's able to keep the law. Right? What he actually says is, I'm able to live without condemnation because the Holy Spirit applies Christ who kept the law for me. Right? Right? and that Holy Spirit is himself going to transform me, but you are not going to be transformed, according to Paul, into a person who can go out and keep the law. i like to see everyone's look, and I want to, this would be fun. I could have like 10 or 12 side conversations right there. If you think that Paul teaches that, he, that Jesus justifies you, makes you a new creation, and then backs up and says, now get going, he's wound you up. Start going. And you're supposed to go out and keep the law. That's not what the Bible teaches. Rather, Paul, in this passage, says several different ways that we are to walk by the Spirit. We're to live in the Spirit. We are to set our minds on the Spirit. I'm going to do something very dangerous, and I'm going to read my favorite author, who's a Puritan. Well, he's one of my favorites. This is my favorite books. Walter Marshall. You can get it for 99 cents on Kindle. It's called The Gospel Mystery of Sanctification. And in this work, he explains how sanctification comes about, that is growth in Christ through the gospel. I'm going to try my best to read a small paragraph and not lose you, so please bear with me. He says this, One great mystery is that the holy frame and disposition by which our souls are furnished and enabled for immediate practice of the law you paraphrase, okay? Basically, saying your ability to walk and keep the law must be obtained by receiving it out of Christ's fullness. So, your ability, your, your frame to do that, comes from Christ's fullness as a thing already prepared and brought to an existence for us in Christ and treasured up in Him. And that, and he says, and that is we are okay. And that. As we are justified by righteousness, which is wrought out in Christ and imputed to us, so we are sanctified by such a holy frame and qualifications as are first wrought in Christ and completed in Christ and then imparted to us. Wow, how many did I lose on that one? Okay, I'm going to try my best to paraphrase it. Christ not only imputed his righteousness to you legally, he is not imparting, he's not infusing actual righteousness, but he has prepared works ahead of time for you. And whatever righteousness you gain is because of your partnership with Christ. He goes on to talk about the mystical union with Jesus. That the three mysteries in the, in the Bible talk about them. Uh, how do you explain the Trinity? Right? It's impossible, you know, the apple doesn't quite do it. How do, you, how do you explain the humanity and the deity of Christ? You have to be very careful, the tendency is to want to say, well, and you start to explain it, you butcher it, you mess up. He's 100% God, he's 100% man. Well, in the same way, how do you explain a Christian's union with Christ? If you ever err on the side of, Jesus does it all, and I I just kind of sit on the sidelines, wrong. You've messed it up. But on the other hand, if you say something like, Jesus sort of, he did it, But now he's sort of in the background, and I'm the one who carries out my righteousness. That's wrong. So, mysteriously, according to Marshall, according to Paul, it's our walking in Christ. And in fact, probably one of the most eye opening things for me is that your goal is not to be better, your goal is not to go out and accomplish the law, your goal is to walk by the Spirit. Okay? That is what is true. The lecture. And I could close the lecture off right now, right? Many of you are professors. I could say next week we'll pick up with Romans 8, whatever. That's the lecture. You are to learn and improve in this walking by the Spirit. Go and do that. Okay, that's point number one. Now, my job is to tell you how to do it. That is what is true. Now here is what to do. How do you preach that gospel to yourself? How do you get some of these truths that are found not only here in, obviously, Romans, but all through Scripture, the truth of our union with Christ, how do you get that in your life to where it does anything? How are you guys at preaching to yourself? The hardest thing about preaching, and I probably, you can come correct me on this every time you want to, is application. No doubt about it application, because every single one of you has a story, and you're in a place right now, and sometimes I know where you are, and sometimes I don't, but even if I sort of know, I don't really know, and so when I work on a sermon, I've got to think about an application that fits everybody, right? It's the hardest part of preaching, um, yet that is your job for yourself. When you read scripture, when you preach the gospel to yourself, the whole point is, now how do you get into your own heart, Right? So we uh, looked at Psalm 42 at the beginning uh, of this s- uh, service, as our call to worship. But there's a famous place in Psalm 42 where the psalmist asks this question. He says, verse 5, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? And other, uh, The psalmist is able to say, I have problems. I'm I'm down, but he's speaking to his soul, almost in the third person, and that's a really important thing to do, that we need to learn to step back from our life a little bit and, and ask hard questions of our, of our soul, right? How many of you, I'm not going to, I always say how many of you, then you don't really raise your hand, so don't do that. I'll just tell you. I have enjoyed, at times, learning about cognitive behavioral therapy, uh, cognitive behavioral therapy, which it's just an interesting topic. Don't, I don't practice it, and I don't uh, lead with it in counseling, but it's, the, it's, a, it's a therapy that emerged when um, practitioners began to realize oftentimes people's behavior is linked to thoughts that you don't know you're thinking. Now, the most popular terminology for that became self-talk, and that's kind of exploded, but I like the term automatic thoughts. The, the, the actual father of cognitive therapy used that term better because you don't know you're doing it. What they found was, for example, um, a spider crawls across the room, and I scream like a schoolgirl. Not to offend schoolgirls that don't scream. They would say something like this. "Okay, write down on a piece of paper what happened. A a spider crawled across my desk, and I screamed like a schoolgirl or a mouse. We had mice in the office. Okay, then you're supposed to rank on a scale from 1 to 100. Like, how did it make you feel? Like, well, how violent was that? Oh, that was like 98. And then you're supposed to kind of reason with it. Can a mouse or a spider kill you? Well, no, I mean, not really, unless it's, you know. And you finally work your way down to, like, I should have probably felt like a 12. And so you're applying reason. And then they, then they try to get you to think, what was that automatic thought that happened between the stimulus and the response, right, the scream you know, some sort of thought is dominating me there and I'm not picking up on it. Okay, this is cognitive behavioral therapy, right? And it's really helpful, by the way, when you have, like, I don't want to leave my house or I'm a hoarder or I'm scared of things or maybe even with things like temper. There's a lot of areas it can help. It can only get you to kind of average, though. That's the problem with it, right? Their job is just to kind of bring you back to sort of functioning in society. Nonetheless, it's helpful, I think, to ask, Do I do that with my spiritual life I think the Puritans were excellent at this I mean you read a Puritan and they're like here you know here are 88 ways Satan tries to tempt you on Wednesdays Wow you know yeah they're they're able to dig and and, and examine so when you preach to yourself the question is are you aware of what's going on in your soul how often do you step back and say soul why are you upset right? Look at Romans 7. What's Paul doing? Paul, I know there's, all the, there's so many debates on Romans 7, but you have to admit, no matter where you fall on what Paul's doing in Romans 7, he's interacting with his inner self. He is saying, the things that I want to do, I shouldn't want to do. And the very things that I, I should want to do, the law, I, I don't do those things. Those things I don't do. And he's giving you insight into this inner turmoil he feels as a Christian. That is very, I don't know how you feel, but it's very, very helpful for me to see the Apostle Paul struggling in his Christianity. And then he says, in chapter 8, verse 1, there is no condemnation. Now, why would you say that if you didn't feel that there was condemnation? So Paul obviously is saying, if I'm not careful, if I'm not preaching the gospel to myself, and if you're not preaching the gospel to yourself, you will feel and believe yourself to be condemned. And my guess is that for most of us, that is the way we walk around this planet. Most of the time. That, that somehow we're not perfect in Christ. That somehow we're letting God down. I've talked to a lot of people, and here's a common refrain. I know that God has to accept me. I know that Jesus brought me my, you know, the salvation is in Jesus, and they'll, they'll give me all the right theology, and they'll say, but if I ask, how do you feel like God actually feels about you? A common refrain is, he tolerates me. He has to let me in because of what Jesus did. He has to. It's legal. But now that I'm there, it's kind of like, Really? That's what you're going to bring to the table? And that's not what we see in in Romans 7 and 8, right? We don't don't see that anywhere in the gospels. We see a God who delights in us. There is no condemnation. We walk by the Spirit. He loves you, not just because of Christ, but as much as he loves Christ. He loves you and delights in you. Okay? So there's no condemnation. So, that's where we are. We feel condemned. How do we, how do we preach the gospel then in such a way that this might work deeper in our, in our hearts? Where do we go with that? Um, I want to, by the way, I want to I say one little proof. that I made a comment. A lot of people hear me say these comments and say, no, I don't think that's true, that we walk around feeling condemned, right? Here's the opposite of feeling condemned. Love, joy, peace, patience kindness, gentleness, self-control, right? The fruit of the Spirit. So, you can't go around being cranky and kind of rude and bitter and saying you walk by the Spirit. So, let's just all be kind of honest. We need a little bit more of this. So, how do we do it? Okay, walking by the Spirit. That's our, uh, that's the second, where we are, we preach the gospel to ourselves and where we're to go, okay? How do we apply this? The two ways you apply this, are repentance and faith. Okay, that's how you walk by the Spirit. Uh, Jack Miller used to say, it's literally the left step and the right step of walking. Okay, you can't just take all left steps. or right, You'll go in one way, circle. You can't take all right steps, you'll go the other way, and it'll look funny. So, repentance and faith. Now, I've got five minutes left, of which three minutes are going to be devoted to repentance. This will be amazing. Uh, it takes pages and pages. What is repentance I talk about it a lot. Uh, Maybe you read about it and think about it a lot. Here's what I'm going to say about repentance. I'm going to use an illustration. And I I use arguments with my wife as an illustration. We don't fight very often at all. But it's a good illustration, so forgive me. Sometimes when there's a fight, and this is a generic fight with your spouse or loved one or parent, whomever you're closest to, sometimes I think when you finally realize like, I'm being rude um, it's my fault, or at least I'm largely to blame, right? Do you ever sense that disconnect? Like, there's, I just feel disconnected. And I don't even remember specifically all the problems that led to this. Have you ever had that experience? Am I the only one? So you just sometimes take a deep breath, you pray, and you walk in and just go, I love you. I'm sorry. I want to just be close again. Anyone ever do that? Come on, everybody. I hope you all do that a little bit. Yes, back in the back. Okay, in that moment, as you're moving closer to your spouse and embracing, that looks more like repentance. What we tend to do is think of confession, but they're different, okay? Confession is part of it, but repentance is relational. It's, you know, the metanoia, everyone likes to talk about the 180 turn. It's true, but it's a relational. I'm moving away from God and sin, and now, you know, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. And repentance is I'm moving back. I'm walking into the arms of God. And that's, that moment feels very, very scary. Just like with the relationship, because what if I'm rejected, right? What if the hands are put up? What if that was the last time? But God never says that, does he? So repentance is coming daily into the arms of God as one who has wandered in some way, right? And, and you do that, Through the means of grace. And that's what we're doing when we preach the gospel to ourselves. We do that through, there here we go, to confession. Um, But it's a fruit of repentance, and that's the point I want to make. You don't walk into that spouse and say, before I hug you and tell you how much I love you and we reconnect, let me list eight things that I did wrong. She may like that. But what's better is to move in, reconnect, and then in keeping with that repentance, say, and all this stuff is so bad, I'm sorry, and you begin to kind of talk about it, and usually they'll say, well, no, no, I did something wrong too. But, nonetheless, when you're back in your relationship, you really don't mind talking about the harmful things as much. Does that make sense? Because you're accepted right now. And so in Christ, uh, or in repentance, we, we've, in Christ, in the Spirit, we're walking in Him by repenting, and we've moved into the arms of God, and we can now... In that relationship, be honest about all the ways we doubt him and all the ways we run and all the ways our flesh tries to take over. Does that make sense? Okay. Two steps, repentance and faith. You can't do the repentance without faith. That's why this is so hard. That's why every one of us has a legalistic tendency. Right? Legalism. Now, you say, well, legalism is where you have a few laws you follow and... You think that's what gets you to heaven. No. It's you trying to measure your life by anything other than Jesus. If you measure yourself in any way other than Jesus Christ, you're a legalist at that moment, right? Whether it's success, what, what, just name a million things. Law-keeping, hobbies, whatever. And so faith says, no, I believe that my entire identity is, the, is wrapped up in who Jesus is, applied by the Spirit. That's faith. I can't see that. That is really hard. So it's tempting to move away from faith. But it takes faith to repent, right? Just like, the art, just like the illustration I gave you. It takes faith to open that, you know, to go into that moment with the significant other and say, I trust in our marriage vows that she will receive me if I come in with my arms open. Does that make sense? Okay. How do you know you're doing it? I want to kind of close this off with this idea. How do I know I'm preaching the gospel? How do I know I'm moving toward the Lord in this way? How do I know I'm walking in the Spirit? Well, God will look very, very lovely to you. So let me ask you this question. What do you think of God? Like, when you're, just in general, do you kind of go, Do you get overjoyed? Do you kind of get sweaty palms, or do you get kind of nervous? Um, A paraphrased quote from Walter Marshall is that you cannot love God while you secretly think he's angry with you, right? So when you are preaching the gospel to yourself and you are acknowledging the ways you run from God and you're repenting and by faith, it's going to show up because the Spirit is going to bring to you actual love and joy and peace and patience and all the fruit of the Spirit. That's going to actually come out. Um, There are a couple of examples from uh, history. Jonathan Edwards, many of you have heard his uh, testimony. He writes in his journal about having one particular time where just contemplating on God Created in him, like, just this, picture the double rainbow video, but it's Jonathan Edwards, so it's okay. Um, the sky, who's just like, the sky, the blueness of the sky. And, and the, you know, and he just starts going on and on about the beauty of God's creation. Another person, G.K. Chesterton, writes at one point, just, he became in love with the muddiness of mud. I mean, just this love of God's creation. What a human being does when the pressures of life are removed is astounding, right? Have you ever just had the pressures of life removed for a moment and just thought, okay. I had this, this is another, I have a million ways to illustrate this. It's like deja vu, it doesn't happen very often, but everybody kind of knows what you're talking about. This has happened for me from time to time. uh, I remember it more as a child. I'll be doing something I'm like and I would all of a sudden feel as if something really good had just happened but I couldn't remember what it was anyone know I'm talking about am I the only one I am the only one okay I should have checked that with a few people and so you start wondering like why am I so happy because you're shocked because joy is shocking (laughs) you know and usually I find out oh yeah you know, this is why. And there's something, maybe some pressure was relieved elsewhere. Oh, I got that good grade, or I wasn't kicked out, or I didn't get fired, or I got the promotion. But, but sometimes you just feel that feeling, and you have no idea why. Right? Because that feeling is the way you will always feel when the pressures of life that the law put on you are, taking off, are taken off through the Spirit. Right? There is no way to preach this in one sermon. Preach the gospel to yourself every day. That's the goal. Um, Last week we looked at keeping the heart. I'm trying to get you to see the need for this, and then uh, I'll be gone obviously next week. Shane will be here. And then we're going to look at some practical disciplines like scripture and prayer and others. But I want to set the pace right now for you to actually run to Jesus and say, that is me. That is me. I am in Christ. I don't need one feeling, emotion, evidence. I don't need to go perform any duty. I don't need anything to prove myself that that is me. Right now, as I'm in my study or I'm in my wherever I'm praying, that is true of me already. Do you believe that? You do not need to do anything to prove that. However, when that takes hold of you, your life will change. Lord, I just praise you that we get to take the Lord's Supper to clean up some of my difficult explanations. Because, Father, this truth is so rich. It's everything that you have adopted us. That you, the, you Father, who raised Jesus from the dead, have placed your Holy Spirit in our souls, bringing life to our mortal bodies. And all we are supposed to do, Lord, which is everything, is, is walk in you. It feels like dying, like when the train is coming, but Lord, it's life. We're scooped up. We have peace. The, the ropes are torn away. Father, I pray we would see you with that mindset. Lord, help us to avoid the way our heart, our fleshly heart, or Satan tries to get us to think of you as a taskmaster, as mean, as, as barely tolerating us. Father, that is, that is evil. You delight in us. You pursued us and you've rescued us. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that we would live out of that reality this week, every day. Amen.